Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. And this DVD is from an article I wrote called The Fallacious Arguments of New Neo-Universalists. The new universalists are not as vocal about their universalism ideas, but are far more deadly to the church as they have not been rejected like classic universalists were decades ago. The new universalists would include emerging church leaders like uh, Brian McLaren, uh, Leonard Sweet, Spencer Burke, Alan Jones, and others like Wycliffe Society of Biblical Literature, uh, World Christian Gathering of Indigenous People, uh, Richard Twiss, Danny Kukawa, Terry LeBlanc, Rick Warren, Henry Nowen, YWAM, Tony Campolo, Robert Schuler, uh, George Otis Jr., and even Billy Graham, believe it or not. For confirmation on their statements, go to the following articles. Now, I'm going to take some of the arguments made by those who subscribe to universalism in some form or another and reduce them down to their uh, uh, you know, basic essence. Hopefully this will give the reader uh, some kind of uh, ammunition when uh, dealing with the ever-increasing presence of universalism in the church, the modern church. By the way, Don Richardson just wrote a book um, uh, that is basically showing that he is an inclusivist, which is uh, right close to universalism. So let's take uh, the idea number one. If everyone goes to heaven, then God's creation is perfect. Universalism is a belief that God is all-loving and moral and that God is positive and effective. It's a belief that all life does have a purpose, that suffering is nullified in the end. It's a belief that in the end God will be completely victorious. Here's a quote. Quote, Universalism has been beneficial in my own concept of God. It causes me to marvel at God's power and love, not God's limitedness to save or wrath. I feel even more gratitude and trust and wonder of God. How marvelous are God's works. And that's why I'm a universalist by uh, uh, Reverend D.R. Deanson. If God is perfect, then it holds that universalism is true, as God who saves everyone is better than a God that does not. But you know what? If God is moral, he cannot, by his own nature, not judge those who have been given every opportunity to believe in him, yet refuse in rebellion to repent. God is not, quote-unquote, victorious only in saving people, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but in conquering his enemies, Isaiah 1, 24. The great victory of God was in sending his only son to die in the place of those who are sinners, yet repent of their sin and are saved. Where is the victory in allowing the enemy and those who follow him access to the reward of heaven? God became man, Colossians 2.9. How limited is that act? This argument from universalists is foolishness. Here's the second one. 
Imperfect people, atheists, and the mentally disabled all go to heaven. If mentally disabled people are, quote-unquote, uh, uh, accepted by God into heaven, despite them not being to uh, uh, being able to conceive of God in a normal way, then atheists and members of wrong religions can be said to suffer from mental disabilities, intellectual or emotional, preventing them from realizing the true God. And God must accept these people too. If God re rejects people because of their intellectual or mental shortcomings, God is immoral. And that's from Salvation of the Disabled by Vexen. First of all, the Bible says nothing about mentally disabled all going to heaven. That's up to the Lord to decide. As to imperfect people, quote-unquote, hey, all have sinned, Romans 3.23. All people are imperfect, and the only way to perfection is through repentance of sin and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, Mark 1.15. This would rule out all who continue in unbelief, including atheists. All you have to do is look at Revelation 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The third argument. There can be no one in hell if there is bliss in heaven. When we love or care for someone, we hurt and suffer when they hurt or suffer. If there is hell, if there's a hell and someone we know is there, then it will cause us suffering. Our suffering will continue as long as we know they are in hell. Now, this shows universalists have no understanding of the scripture. The Bible is clear that in the new heaven and new earth the former things will no longer come to mind. Isaiah 65:17. Our suffering over sinners must be experienced now so we may help them to salvation james 4 9 through 10. on the other side of death those who are in christ will no longer have any chance at reconciling people to god that's hebrews 9 27. that dispensation will be over and therefore there will no longer there's no longer anything that can be done to save someone after that person dies or is brought back to the great uh, for, brought back for the great white throne judgment. The fourth idea is temporary hell. Quote, it seems there's a good reason to believe in some form of spiritual imprisonment or purgatory or a temporary hell for those who, upon death, have thus far chosen separation and rebellion from love and truth. The doors are always open in this realm, and God reality continues to seek and persuade people through persistent love to accept love truth goodness etc there are likely trials and sufferings like earth but of a different type i.e of the soul not physical uh, and they would happen here as people sort out their destinies also this temporary holding place likely functions as a context for divine or karmic retribution to right the injustices committed in one's lifetime. Eventually, all beings are wooed by God's intense and persistent love for them, for them however. Everyone is united to their source of being. God doesn't give up until we are all convinced. And that's called Why I Am a Universalist by Reverend Deanson. You know, there's no such thing as 
purgatory or a temporary hell. Before the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20.13, those who believe in Christ go to be with him. And that's a number of verses, including 2 Corinthians 5.8, Luke 23.43, and 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And those who do not are held in Hades, which is temporary, Revelation 20.13. But there's no escape from Hades, Luke 16.22.30. At the judgment, those who have not believed in Christ are thrown into the lake of fire, and that's hell, Revelation 20.14. They're thrown there after the Antichrist and false prophet, Revelations 19.20, and Satan and his demons, Revelation 20.10 and Matthew 25.41. And those have already been placed there by God. Their torment will be eternal, Revelation 14.11 and Jude 1.7. The fifth idea is when the Bible states that Jesus Christ came to save the Jews and the Gentiles, the word Gentiles is referring to the Greeks, or Helen, uh, Acts 20, 21, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So there, therefore, there's, this is not applicable to Gentiles. <laughs> the Bible uses the words Helen and Ethos interchangeably in many circumstances. The word Helen, which refers to the Greeks, is also in many cases referring to Gentiles in general as well. The word Ethos is referring to Gentiles, pagans, heathen, peoples, nations, but would also include the Greeks. The gospel was not only to be preached among the Greeks, but among the nations of the world. Colossians 1.27 To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Thessalonians 2.16 In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. In this way they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. And 1 Timothy 2.7 And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The sixth idea is this. The gospel was applicable only to the Gentiles in the region of the Mediterranean. Hmm. You know, that's not true. History records that the gospel was spread beyond the Mediterranean by the original 12 apostles. Matthew, uh, the scene of his labors was uh, Parthia and Ethiopia, in which latter country he suffered martyrdom, being slain with a halberd in the city of uh, Nadaba, uh, Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flayed alive in uh, Albanapolis, Armenia. Thomas the Doubter was run through the body with a lance at Coromandel in the East Indies. Philip was hanged against a pillar in Heropolis, Abyssinia of Ethiopia. Andrew preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations, but on his arrival at Edessa, Mesopotamia, he was taken and crucified on a cross, and the two ends of which were fixed transversely in the ground. Hence the de derivation of the term St. Andrew's Cross. Uh, 
Simon, surnamed Zelotes, um, preached the gospel in Mauritania, Africa, and even in Britain, in which latter country he was crucified, A.D. 74. And that's all from the Book of Martyrs. So the gospel message was to be preached to the whole world, Luke 24, 27. And believers were be, to be discipled from every nation, Matthew 28, 19. Here's the seventh idea. It's a change of argument. The gospel and ways to understand and be reconciled to God were sent by God into all the world at Babel. Oh, you know what? That's completely erroneous. Those who had confused languages went out from Babel, dispersed by God in disobedience by confusing their languages and not knowing God, but worshiping false gods. A new polytheism, uh, the worship of Nimrod and Semiramis. Ephesians 2.12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. 1 Thessalonians 4.5 Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Galatians 4.8 Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The world does not know God and cannot know Him apart from His creative power in nature, Romans 1.20, but the world has no knowledge, 1 Thessalonians 4.5, or relationship to God, Ephesians 2.14, nor do their customs, traditions, and cultures provide them with knowledge of God or a way to redemption. Now you can see these articles that I've written, uh, an end run around Romans 1 and Acts 17, the game plan of YWAM. Uh, more false First Nations teachings, uh, and that's talking about uh, Genesis 11, 1 through 9, Babel, and Acts 17, 18, Mars Hill. Also look at Nimrod and Babel, and I compiled that article as well. Because of this false idea culled from books by Don Richardson, Richard Twist, Daniel Kakawa, and others, Bible societies have begun to seek out the names of local deities, substituting them for the name of YHWH in modern Bible translations. I mean, can you believe it? The only one true God is named YHWH. I am that I am. He consists of the Father, His Son, being Yeshua, Mashiach, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, Godesh Ruach. There are many attributive names for God, but only one true name, YHWH. All other names are names of false gods who are not really gods at all. Now, you might want to read these articles for further information. IPM false teaching about the names of God. Also, blasphemizing the Bible. So, that's a false argument. Now, Number eight, we have another change of argument. There's no need for the gospel message as God will not send anyone to hell or there is no hell. There will be universal salvation in the end. Quote, many people believe in evil, sin, and dark forces. It's your purpose to teach uh, the opposite, which is the truth, 
There is no devil, no hell, no sin, no guilt, except in the creative uh, mind of mankind. Now, that's from a New Ager. But that's what these guys are teaching, unfortunately. That's the same message being taught by a number of so-called Christians today. Prominent emerging church uh, theologian Brian McLaren has said this, quote, For many Christians, their faith is primarily about what happens to people after they die. That distracts them from seeking justice and living in a compassionate way while we're still alive in this life. We need to go back and take another look at Jesus' teachings about hell. For so many people, the conventional teaching about hell makes God seem vicious. That's not something we should let stand. Well, universalist ideas have been have entered into many historically biblical denominations by way of the teachings of these false religionists and false teachers who are actually from classical uh, liberal, liberal churches. Quote, Universalism is not as bankrupt of biblical support as some uh, suggest. That's Brian McLaren again from the last word and the word after that. The gospel is not our gospel, but the gospel of the gospel kingdom of God, and what belongs to the kingdom of God cannot be hijacked by Christianity. That's Brian McLaren again. Leonard Sweet calls this the theory of everything. This theory not only says that all creation is connected, but it's all inhabited with divinity or God. That's, that's clear Eastern mysticism and New Ageism. That's from Quantum Spirituality by Leonard Sweet, which by the way a lot of Christians have read. In an earlier appearance on PBS, Charlie Rose, Tony Campolo muddied theological waters by stating, I'm saying that there is no salvation apart from Jesus. That's my evangelical mindset. However, I'm not convinced that Jesus only lives in Christians. Oh, hmm. There's only one message that can change the course of human history forever. End the torture and bring you back to God. And that message is that is the new gospel. We are all one. That's Neil Donald Walsh, who a lot of people read. He's a New Ager. A God of love will not uh, allow any to perish unendingly. Instead, God will bring all men to repentance, either without hell or by means of a purgatory like hell. Universalism has a broad appeal because of the positive nature of its message where everyone wins. That's Miller J. Erickson in, in his uh, paper, Is Universalistic Thinking Now Appearing Among Evangelicals? And the answer is yes. Clark Pinnock, in his book, A Wideness in God's Mercy, promotes a much more open view of the lostness of mankind, countering the biblical orthodoxy of past generations. Promoting a wider hope, quote, we have now refuted the re restrict view that says that only those who actually confess Jesus in this life can be saved. On the contrary, the Bible teaches that many varieties of unevangelizing un persons will attain salvation. I mean, where is that? And that's Clark Pinnock in A Wideness in God's Mercy. Quote, we are asked to believe that God endlessly tortures sinners by the millions uh, sinners who perish because the Father has decided not to elect them to salvation while they were alive on earth. Though, could, 
though he could have done so, and whose torments are suppo supposed to gladden the hearts of believers in heaven. The problems with this doctrine are both extensive and profound. That's Clark Pinnock again. Quote, there are a thousand paths to God and everyone gets you there. That's Neil Donald Walsh. We have also learned that Gehenna does not mean a place of torment, but is used in the Bible as a symbol of everlasting destruction. That's from the Watchtower Society, the JWs. Mother Teresa practiced today's open Catholicism. I love all religions. If people become better Hindus, better Muslims, better Buddhists by their acts, our acts of love, then there is something else growing there. She upheld that there are many ways to God. All is God. Buddhists, Hindus, Christians, etc. All have access to the same God. And that was in Time magazine, by the way. Robert Schuller, who is now deceased, had said the same, very same thing. The Christ spirit dwells in every human being, whether the person knows it or not. Uh, nothing exists except God. Pearson explains, the death of Christ made it possible for God to accept sinful man and that he has in fact done so. Consequently, whatever separation there is between man and the benefits of God's grace is subjective in nature and exists only in man's mind and unregenerate spirit. The message man needs to hear then is not that he simply has a suggested opportunity for salvation, but that through Christ he has in fact already been redeemed to God and that he may enjoy the blessings that are already his through Christ. Wow, that's Car Carlton Pearson. So, read these articles for more information on this subject. Universalism in the world has permeated the church. Universalism, a problem for everyone, etc. And I urge you to think about this issue because it is literally taking over the churches. This is from an article that I wrote back in 2005 from a newsletter that is basically the newsletter for the New Apostolic Reformation, which is Elijah List. And the article was called Three Fallacies of Third Wave Spiritual Warfare Teachings. Uh, this newsletter illustrated ridiculous and, erroneous, and, and erroneous ideas of the New Apostolic spiritual warfare teaching and it was put out on October 17 2005 and it had this headline how to cleanse your house and the land it sits on the newsletter was basically an ad for a book called portals to cleansing taking back your land from the hands of the enemy by Dr. Henry Malone along with the book uh, a portals to cleansing property dedication kit was also being sold and these are the pictures of that kit with the inscriptions a unique kit with instructions scriptures oil and stakes to dedicate your property to the lord and also uh this kit makes an excellent companion resource to the awesome book portals to cleansing by dr henry malone book and property dedication kit are sold separately. The pictures are apparently meant to demonstrate the use of the cleansing kit by driving stakes 
with Bible inscriptions around your property and then anointing your property line and or stakes with some kind of holy anointing oil. Now, we've heard of this being done in many places. For instance, Ted Haggard, an apostolic pastor of the New Apostolic Reformation, and his church members at New Life Church in Colorado Springs apparently did something quite similar to that. The news article went like this. Renee Rodriguez spent a number of years in Haggard's New Life Church and describes one of the ways the New Lifers have implemented the apostolic vision. She, de she describes how they filled five-gallon spray cans with anointing oil and attempted to spray the whole city. They then claimed that they had made it hard for people to go to hell in Colorado Springs. In Tate Hager's book, Primary Purpose, published in 1995, it said that the spiritual climate in your city can be changed to such an extent that it will be hard for people to go to hell from your city. It happened in Colorado Springs, and it can happen in your city, too. Uh, sorry, it didn't happen. There are a number of problems with anyone with a clear, non-third wave, unbrainwashed brain who will quickly ascertain the errors of the above. First of all, the only way to rid any area of demons is for people in that area to be saved and therefore have a relationship with Jesus. There are no methods or devices that can substitute for that relationship, nor are any required by biblical definition. The second point is, what are these portals they're talking about? Where can they be found in the Bible? Well, the answer is basically nowhere. But the ideas of portals to heaven is very much a new age concept. The concept of portals is to be found in the a heretical pseudepigraphal book called the Book of Enoch, which is not the original Book of Enoch. It was written by a uh, Eastern, uh, you know, Orthodox guy. The Catholics believe that Mary, whom they call the Immaculate, Immaculate Virgin Mary, Queen of Heaven and Mother of God, is endowed with the keys to open to us the portals of heaven. Oh, so they got this from Catholicism. On a New Age site, a deluded New Ager claims that I have ascended through the portals of heaven, where I established my rebirth in the earth itself, and now have taken my rightful place in the kingdom of heaven. Even John Paul Jackson, a false prophet from the Kansas City Prophets, who we will mention later, has admitted that the New Age teaches about portals. He said this, sadly, while many in the New Age movement recognize the existence of portals, the portals they recognize are those of the second heaven. Many erroneously think they're hearing from God when actually they're being deceived by the counterfeit. Well, so is John Paul Jackson. You can read the above article to see that it's John Paul Jackson who's more deceived than New Agers. The Bible says nothing about portals to heaven that you can open. The only portal to heaven for human beings is through the blood of Jesus Christ, not some new age technique, like driving stakes in the ground that have had oil spilled on them. 
The third point is this, driving stakes in the ground is also a new age occult practice. Witchcraft adherents claim to be able to kill vampires by driving stakes, not only through their hearts, but driving stakes into the graves of suspects. Driving stakes was also an Indian practice in the worship of demons. Cabrillo relates that while on his voyage in 1542, he saw the Indians of the Pacific coast come in their bands around a small enclosure. The enclosure was made by driving stakes in the ground. A partition was made in the center and on this partition was a sort of shelf where feathers of sacred birds were deposited. The Indians came leaping around this enclosure in a sort of ceremonial order. Finally, one of them, the priest or medicine man, left their ranks and went within the enclosure and adjusted the sacred feathers and placed more there at the same time going through certain ceremonial acts. This represented the primitive meeting place of the spirits that the Indians came to worship. The ceremony over, they all went to other pursuits. Now for American Indians to claim that the great spirit is the same as the Holy Spirit is absolutely absurd. They were acting the same way that the prophets of Baal were with Elijah. You know, it's noteworthy to note that neither the prophets, apostles, or Jesus Christ taught or demonstrated this driving stakes methodology. Yet it's very evident in the occult. Steve Schultz, the editor of the Elijah List, gives a glowing endorsement of this kit. He states, on at least three or four occasions, I had my house and the land it sits on cleansed in the last six years. Hmm, why do you have to keep doing it? Now, one has to wonder why Steve had to cleanse his property three or four times. Does this kit actually work? Or are they implying you'll have to buy it more than once? Hmm. If it doesn't work the first time, why would it work the second, third, or fourth application? Could it be that it doesn't work at all? In my estimation, this money-making scheme is just as bad as a holy anointing oil to anoint your wallet for more cash from W.V. Grant, holy handkerchiefs from, from Marilyn Hickey, or any other ridiculous gimmick the third wave has produced to fleece people of their dough. Uh, check out uh, this article for more background on this stuff. But Schultz goes on to say, if you don't believe those curses have power, you'd be hard pressed to explain, explain certain sicknesses and disease and even death when it comes upon very anointed and pure hearted people you know. Uh, pure hearted? This is the old either blame the devil or blame God for every sickness routine. Why do we have to explain certain sicknesses and disease anyway? Why not just trust God while going through it? How many pure hearted people do you know? The Bible is clear that no man's heart is pure. Only by the substitutional sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our justification does God see us as pure through Christ. But we are still here. We're still living here dealing with the old man. And that old man is still sinful. Do we now have a class structure in Christianity where some are simply anointed 
and others are very anointed? I don't see that in the Bible. The problem's not with God, it's with the false word of faith theology of these her heretics. They continue to come up with methodologies to try to gain what is a free gift from God, which is protection from the evil one and salvation when one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to do a work when simple trust in God is all that's needed. That's why this stuff doesn't work, and it's rank heresy. John Paul Jackson also gives his endorsement to the book. These biblical insights could save your health, family, marriage, and finances, as well as many other things, too numerous to mention. My suggestion, digest it and read it again and again. So this book is now going to save your family? Huh, I thought salvation was the province of God alone through Jesus Christ. How can driving oily stakes in the ground around your property save your health, family, marriage, and finances? If this kind of methodology is what the book teaches, which it obviously does, what do we need the Bible or the Holy Spirit for? Why not just do some mumbo-jumbo over some salad oil, paint on it some paint it on some sticks, and drive them into the ground every time we have a problem in life? What good is driving stakes in the ground with Bible verses if the Bible verses are not hidden in your heart? Psalm 119.11. You know what? Demons already know the scriptures, James 2.19. What they tremble at is not stakes in the ground, but at the application of the word through the Holy Spirit in a person's life, James 2.18-20. through 20. John Lawrence Sanford adds his endorsement. Our homes, churches, and other buildings are meant to be places of rest and security for us. Portals to cleansing makes us aware when they are not and how to cleanse and redeem them. Is God in the business of redeeming church buildings or individuals? There's no mention of God redeeming church buildings in the Bible. But there's plenty about how he's willing to redeem people. An outline, an outline of that book proclaims taking back your land from the hands of the enemy. Our specific geographical areas, portals of spiritual power. What can be done to cleanse land, possession, and animals of spiritual drunk, uh, darkness? You know what? Where is that in the Bible? Other than portals to heaven, but also portals of demonic power? How would anyone know where these are? Did anyone in the Bible refer to portals of demonic or heavenly power? And if so, did they tell us how to access them or close them off? Does the Bible teach us to cleanse land, possession, and animals of spiritual darkness? Do we have any examples in the Bible of demons being cast out of these things, with the exception of demons being cast out into a herd of pigs by Jesus Christ as a jud judgment on those who are raising them? The answer to all these questions is that the Bible is silent on these issues for a reason. We are not to be doing these things. It's pragmatism. The ad continues. You'll experience the peace that comes from the cleansing of all you possess, and you'll Walk into a portal of God's presence that will take you deeper into the realm of spirit. 
and change your life forever. You know what? I thought we gained the peace that passes understanding when we were not anxious about anything but trust in the Lord, bringing him our thanksgiving and requests, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. But these people are claiming we need to do these spiritual warfare techniques to get peace. So who do you believe? The Bible or Malone? How can a person go deeper into the realm of the spirit unless they become mature in Christ? That would mean they would be gaining discernment, which would mean they would never buy a book or a kit like Malone is selling. Reading a book other than the Bible will not make you walk into a portal, bring you closer to God's presence or deep into this realm of the spirit. And it certainly will not change your life forever. You know, I've been blessed by many books, but there's only one book that can change lives forever. And that's the book with the message of the gospel and the words of the word, Jesus Christ. Three fallacies of these teachings. I want to quickly point out the deadly error that these kinds of spiritual warfare techniques have introduced into Christendom. Number one, the methodologies taught have no biblical support. The current false spiritual warfare movements, promoters, and leadership includes people like John Dawson, YWAM, C. Peter Wagner, uh, Cindy Jacobs, Ed Silvoso, Dutch Sheets, and organizations like IHOP and the International Coalition of Apostles and thousands of other third-wave adherents and organizations. For a list of those who teach this stuff, get our DVD series on the New Apostolic Reformation. Prayer walking, spiritual mapping, binding territorial spirits, Using, using methods like driving stakes, spraying oil, drawing crosses, going up on mountains and blowing shofars, and hundreds of other methods are not to be found in scripture. But they're found liberally in the New Age, occult, and shamanism from which they were called. If there were a pragmatic solution to demonic problems other than casting demons out of individuals in the name of Jesus Christ, based on a sonship relationship to him, then Christ and the apostles would have taught it and done it. But you know what? They didn't. Can you imagine Paul asking pagan priests the names of the local demons, then doing a prayer walk around the temple of Diana? Why do that when you can actually witness to people, telling them they're sinners in need of a savior? What protects people against demons? Is it stakes with Bible verses or a personal or a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember the sons of Sceva, Acts 19, 13 through 16. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who, who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva. A Jewish chief priest were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house, naked and bleeding. 
Driving stakes and spreading oil around your property does not scare demons away. There's only one thing in the universe more powerful than demons and the devil. It's God and anyone who has a true relationship with him in Christ. There's no other protection and no shamanistic uh, method that can take the place of a true relationship with Christ. The fact that these people apparently have to repeat the procedure ought to tell you that they do not have a true relationship with the only one who can protect them. And if you want your family to be protected, then make sure they're saved. Lot did not witness to his family and lost his wife and sons-in-law. Only those who are in Christ are protected from demonism. Those who employ these methods are actually allowing the enemy a foothold. The second fallacy is this. The methodology, methodologies used are not only ineffective, but dangerous. When so-called Christians employ unbiblical pagan methods to rid, rid themselves of demons, they end up giving the enemy an opportunity to deceive them and a foothold in their lives. When Israel disobeyed the Lord's command to come down to Jerusalem and worship him in the temple under the law, and instead the chose to set up altars in the high places, the result is that they ended up worshiping demons. They thought they were worshiping God, but in actuality, they ended up worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth, which were a continuation of the worship of Nimrod and Semiramis. You cannot live a life glorifying to the Lord unless you obey him. John 14, 15, if you love me, you obey what I command. John 14, 23, Jesus replies, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. All these unbiblical occultic methods are simply making the problem of demonism worse. In Honolulu, the transformations people walked through the streets of Chinatown with a black cross and a black casket, declaring the demons be gone into the air. This was not only a bad witness for the Christian community, I believe it was giving the demons a foothold to further deceive. Did they think they were burying the demons in the casket? The enemy was laughing at them that day. And true believers need to stay far away from this kind of quote-unquote transformation. They rant and rave against principalities when the Bible clearly states, Jude 8 through 10, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Those who follow the false teachings of the third wave heretics and false prophets are fooling around with the very things that destroy them. Finally, the third fallacy is the results expected to reveal a Pelagian heretical worldview. The expected result of all this transformation and spiritual warfare is that people will be then be free of demonic influence and will find themselves free to come to the Lord. 
That's a Pelagian fallacy. This is at the heart of the spiritual warfare heresy. It's an assumption that some kind of latent good in man will cause him to seek the Lord if he's free from demonic oppression. But the Bible teaches no man seeks the Lord. Romans 3.11, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And of course, Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Even if men are freed from all demonic influence, which is impossible in this world, they will still be driven by their sin nature. James 1, 13 through 16, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin then, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Romans 7.11, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. The Bible is clear that we deceive ourselves. That's because though the devil can tempt, we're the ones who have free will and can choose to accept or reject temptations. If people could be freed from demonic influence by these methods, which they cannot, they would still have the problem of their sin nature. The only way out of that is to be born again. And then you have the opportunity to really uh, up, you know, use your free will. This is why the most important thing is to preach the true gospel to people. This includes the facts that they're born in this sin and have chosen sin, that they're judged and on their way to hell. And that the only solution to that problem is to believe and commit to the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, accept his free gift of forgiveness and salvation, and then live in him by taking up their cross daily and following him. That means we continue to understand we have an old man living inside of us that we need to put off and put on the new man each day, Ephesians 22 through 24. None of the pragmatic solutions these false teachers offer afford any release from demons or sin. Yet it's typical that after these people and organization rid their areas of demons, the gospel is never really preached. Why? Because there's a Pelagian belief system behind all this. There's this mistaken belief that man is, has enough good in him to choose God without understanding the problem of sin and the need for a savior. False teachers like Francis Frangipan and Rick Joyner have talked and written about man eating from the tree of good and evil. Therefore, man has a knowledge of both. A, there's a book called There Were Two Trees in the Garden, but Garden by Rick Joyner. The thing they do not realize is that man had the knowledge of good already when he willingly and sinfully chose to gain the knowledge of evil. From that point on, it is the knowledge of evil that drives us, not the knowledge of good. Genesis 2.17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. 
You know what? Man did die that day. He died to his relationship with God and his knowledge of only good when he accepted evil. You know, there's only one way, therefore, for a man to be saved. It's for him to hear the gospel of salvation, be convicted of his sins by the Holy Spirit, and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.13, and you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. John 16.8, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 16.31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Want your household to be protected? They need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.